Welcome back after that little break. Um, the next session is Opportunities in International CBDCs. Um, and we have Dr. Justine Sherry Herrera. She's a partner at MK Fintech Partners, and she'll be in conversation with Nick Kerrigan, who is Managing Director, Head of Innovation at SWIFT. Um, they will be taking questions towards the end, um, so get thinking now. Thanks. Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for stopping by to listen to a very exciting discussion slash interview about CBDCs central bank digital currencies for those who perhaps aren't uh, fully aware with Nick Kerrigan. So Nick Kerrigan is the managing director and head of innovation at Swift uh, and for those of you who aren't entirely familiar even though we are at a payment conference uh, Swift are a global member-owned cooperative that functions as a huge messaging system for banks. So Nick thank you so much you. for joining the conversation to speak about CBDCs very fascinating space. Uh, and just to clarify further, CBDCs are central bank digital currencies, which are different from stable coins and cryptocurrencies, which are issued and used by private players. So Nick, SWIFT network consists of more than 11,000 banks and FIs across more than 200 jurisdictions worldwide. So I assume that you guys have very, very good insight in what exactly is going on in the CBDC space. Um, so, so you can give us a very good overview. Can you please give us an overview of the current state of play of CBDCs? Um, is it just research and publication or have we moved to development and usage? Yeah, thank you. And uh, great to be with you all and great to be in conversation with you, Justine. So um, I think uh, what we see across the globe is growing momentum towards CBDCs. Um, if you look at some of the stats that uh, are published by the Atlantic Council, which is the, the primary tracker of CBDCs, what we see is uh, over 110 countries, accounting for over 95% of the world's GDP, are exploring a CBDC. Um, 11 of those countries are now actually already live in some kind of a form. Um, and what I find fascinating is um, there was a study at the end of last year by uh, an organization called OMFIF, which is like an industry association for central banks. And uh, OMFIF surveyed the central banks, and 24% of those central banks told them that they plan to issue a CBDC in the next one to two years. Right? So that, what that means is possibly by the end of 2024, we could have as many as 20 CBDCs live across the globe. So I think if we went back and we were having this conversation maybe three or five years ago, it was kind of like, oh yeah, CBDCs is kind of interesting thing. It's a long-term horizon. Now what I see in here is that CBDCs are starting to become real. And so given that, that context, SWIFT doesn't argue for or against CBDCs. We're not a policy organization. It's up to national central banks and their financial communities to take a decision on whether they want to issue a CBDC or not. But in the backdrop of this growing momentum, we think it's actually our responsibility to get engaged, to understand the implications, and to start solving for some of the opportunities and challenges that CBDCs will bring. Okay, amazing. Um, so, so obviously, if we had to speak about the why, like why are CBDCs coming about, 
Namely, this is because we have such highly inefficient ways of operating when it comes to the payment space and cross-border um, transactions. So everything's very slow, everything's very opaque, everything's very expensive. So if you have to see the, the benefits side of it, this is probably why. In addition to obviously all the heavy compliance regulations that banks have to comply with. Um, it is being reported that a common platform for interoperable settlements using CBDCs would bring significant benefits and improvements to the cross-border space. It has also been reported that SWIFT is focusing on building a solution to facilitate CBDC interoperability for cross-border payments. So the question is, can you give us some insights at some of the different designs that SWIFT is looking at in terms of facilitating cross-border um, efficient payments, and also which of these designs is the most efficient and why? Right. I mean, great question, by the way. So, um, so I think the first backdrop I would say is that um, cross-border payments are already becoming, uh, you know, much faster and more efficient. So uh, something over 40% of payments are sent today through SWIFT GPI arrive at the end beneficiary within five minutes, right? And so that's a, a significant progress from maybe where we had been a few years ago. Um, but with CBDCs, what we see is that uh, central banks are looking to achieve, uh, you know, some, some really, you know, much greater benefits uh, from those, uh, and, and the benefits they're looking to achieve actually often differ by market. Some countries are trying to digitize their economies much faster. In other countries, um, it's, it's about different things. It's about uh, having continued access to central bank money as money becomes electronic. So they're looking to design, you know, different, different rules and different technologies behind those CBDCs to achieve different things. Um, and so, in that space, what we've been trying to do is looking at, okay, well, if you have all these different CBDCs appearing, how can they actually work together? So how can we make them work together to make cross-border payments even better? Yeah. And so that's where this word interoperability comes in, because um, we believe that with the diversity of CBDCs, we, there's going to be need to be some way of linking them up. Um, and making them flow smoothly and efficiently. So that's the challenge that we've been working on now over the last 18 months or so. Um, and we did a first set of experiments back in 2021, and we established that using existing messaging and banking structures, we could make this, this work. So that gave us a base level, level of confidence that interoperability was possible with CBDCs. But then inspired by some of the feedback that we got from the financial community, we looked at last year how we could design a, a, so a solution that can be much more efficient and also help the central banks realize some of those benefits that they're looking to achieve. And so we designed a solution that we call an interlinking solution. Mm. Uh, and why we call it an interlinking solution is because we aim to connect those, uh, those domestic networks through a technical interface directly to SWIFT and then connect other uh, networks uh, to that. Why do we think this could be a powerful solution? One, because we think that this could achieve a high level of straight through processing and therefore transaction efficiency with all the benefits of speed and predictability that can come with that. Secondly, we think this is also potentially a highly scalable model as well because if you have your country CBDC network with the solution that we have designed, you, you can put, connect that to one connector, we call it the CBDC connector, and that then can flow transactions through to our transaction management platform. And what that means is that 
we could, it's like a hub and spoke model or a one to many model. In other words, you connect once and you're, you can reach the rest of the world. And that, in our view, will help uh, avoid some of the potential uh, challenges that could come if we create a world of bilateral links. Because if you connect everybody's CBDC to each other directly, then the potential is you, with 100 CBDCs, you could end up with thousands of links. And that could be very uh, challenging to uh, maintain support and upgrade. So we think that this experimental solution that we've designed is, is potentially really, uh, really, um, really powerful and an important contribution to helping CBDCs work for cross-border payments. Okay, amazing. And if I had to just summarize what you just said in combination with what I read in your white paper, um, is that you are sort of bridging the gap. So uh, if you want to transact a CBDC with a CBDC or a fiat payments rail with a right. CBDC or the opposite, via right. your connector, you can make this happen. So it's leveraging tokenization and DLT via your connector model, so bridging the gap in, in order to, to transition to this space. Uh, absolutely right, Justine. And we, we think this, about this in a really practical way. So say I'm, say I'm Nick and I'm sat in the UK and I have a digital pound and maybe, uh, Justine, you're, uh, you're in Malta and you don't have a digital euro, mm -hmm. how can I actually send a payment yes. to you, right? Yes. And that, that's the kind of very practical challenge that we're trying to solve in this space. Yeah, very complex. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if I had to move on, so according to a statement made on the 9th of March by SWIFT, it was disclosed that SWIFT has seen some very positive results following a pilot test that they ran. So, quote-unquote from news data sources, during a 12-week testing period, SWIFT has simulated nearly 5,000 transactions between two blockchains and existing fiat systems, and over 18 financial institutions worldwide participated in this study, including the Monetary Authority of Singapore, BNB Parabas, HSBC, and many more players. Can you please give us some insights about the process, the results, and the outcome of this sandbox? Yeah. Very happy to do so. Um, so. So why did we do this sandbox testing? Well, we completed the first stage of our experimental solution uh, in October last year, uh, and we had it working in, a, in the SWIFT environment. Um, but we also realized that um, in designing that solution, we'd made a lot of assumptions about how CBDCs are going to work. Uh, and as much as we have lots of smart people in SWIFT, we know that there are tens of thousands of smart people out in the industry. And so what we did is we took that whole experimental infrastructure and put it into a sandbox environment and then opened the sandbox up to 18 central and commercial banks for them to actually experiment and test and learn and give us feedback. Um, and as you said, there were some big names in there, like the Banque de France, the Bundesbank, uh, MAS, as well as some very big, uh, you know, global commercial banks like HSBC. So we were very pleased to welcome the, the, them in. What, the, what we did together was, was, was a couple of different things. One thing we did was each of the institutions was able to have access to the environment and simulate their own transactions and give us feedback on that individual level. And then secondly, we, every two weeks, we gathered the whole group together and we talked about some important design considerations for CBDCs. In other words, did the assumptions that we made actually 
Are they the way that these participants saw that the world would emerge? And that was incredibly valuable because those 18 uh, banks came from across the globe. So they could actually share insights from across the world. So from Asia, from Europe, from North America. Um, and we built actually together a kind of group of shared knowledge around that. The results, um, well, the results were issued, as you said, on the 9th of March. We were incredibly pleased to get the results report out there. The headline was that the, all of those participants saw clear potential and value to the SWIFT solution, uh, and that they also supported us continuing to develop that solution, and they also wanted to work with us on this journey going forward. So. That's a, that's a pretty exciting space, space to be in, and it kind of shows the power of what I would call collaborative innovation. In other words, bringing the community together to solve common opportunities, common challenges. Yes, and that, and that is the key word, I think, collaboration, because in order for this to be successful and to have full interoperability, every player has to be on board. Right. And obviously, Swift having 11,000 banks in their network isn't a good place in order to leverage the network to, to build this solution. Right. Um, if I had to move a bit to sort of challenges, um, so, given the large number of challenges highlighted in the recent Bank of International Settlements paper, specifically around AML and policy and governance, and also having to work with different regulatory frameworks all across the world, how likely is it that we will see a successful launch of a cross-border multi-CBDC platform or solution, and how many years will it take? Because obviously here we're talking about having each player on board, having all the rules streamlined, having some standardization when it comes to the technology, having some functions, let's say centralized, let's say AML function. So in reality, is it just a utopian vision or is it a realistic goal? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> and if I did, I'd probably be retired by now but, uh. and very rich. Um, but what I would say on this is that the the, the beauty of, of the, the solution that we have designed is that it does not require everybody to be on a, a, a common settlement infrastructure, right? So each of the, uh, the central banks and their financial communities can design their own CBDCs as they want. But we, in our role, can link them to the other CBDCs and existing payments infrastructure. So I think that what that does is that means that um, it's a much more realistic proposition to be able to get this type of solution live. And so what we're aiming to do is really at SWIFT is move at the, the same pace as leading central banks. So as they gradually make CBDCs become a reality, we will develop our solution at the same pace with them. And so what, we've, what we're doing at the moment, and there's a lot of work going on with very hard work but going on with my development team at the moment in innovation, is actually taking this experimental solution and making it into a beta version. And our aim is to then be able to test that beta version with some of those central banks uh, from Q2 onwards this year. So this is the next stage in making this a kind of, a kind of reality. And in parallel to that, we also want to then uh, later in Q2, open up that sandbox that I described again to a wider group of participants and allow them to test with us new and more complex use cases. And that's the kind of discussion we have at the moment. So this is going to be a multi-stage process, yes. uh, absolutely, Jesse. Yes. But it's a path that we are, you know, we're very much on and very much, you know, working in step with those central banks. 
Okay, amazing. So we'll get a yearly update and see what stage we are at. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, amazing. So if I just had to move to a closing question, um, let's say a more controversial topic. So we are seeing tensions rise between the private sector, so dominated by stable coins and crypto, and the public sector issuing CBDCs and obviously advocating for CBDCs. How do you see this evolving and what is Swift's stance or view on this? Yeah. So. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex space, but I think, actually, we can give a relatively simple answer to it, which is if we look at what's happened over the last week or so in terms of developments in the banking world and all the, you know, the, the various things that have happened, whether it's SVB or Credit Suisse, mm. I think it comes back to the fundamental point that, that money and banking is all about trust. Yes. And, uh, you know, why do we trust money and banks? Well... It's because we, uh, we, you know, we have safety and certainty that we're going to get our money back. And in a very important part of that component of trust is regulation and having the regulation that supports the trust and achieves the objectives that it wants. So, you know, I, I can't predict the future of whether stablecoins or CBDCs mm. will predominate or whether they'll coexist and probably yes. they'll coexist, yeah, right? But, but I think whatever happens all of those forms of money are going to need to be properly regulated because that's the way that we will ensure that, that, that you know, the wider customers yes. that we all serve can trust those monies, money and those, and, and those providers that, that, that are providing them the ability to access their money. Okay, amazing. Thank you very much for that closing uh, remark. So I'd like to just move to take some questions from the floor. Perhaps any of you have any interesting questions. Now now's your time to, to ask that we have Nick on stage. Uh, so, anyone, hands up, please feel free. We have about five minutes. Okay, we have a question, great. Thank you. It's Matthew Osborne from the Bank of England. Uh, there's a bit of your, 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 what, what you presented, uh, Nick, that I didn't quite follow. So, if, if I want to send a CBDC, so I'm a bank, I want to send a CBDC to a bank in a different jurisdiction, yep. how, how can I do that if they haven't been onboarded by the respective central bank? Yeah, so... Um, Great question. I'm glad you, glad you asked it. I, I think one of, the, one of the assumptions that we've made, and we think this is a valid assumption from the work we've done in the sandbox, is that the C, uh, CBDCs are unlikely to leave their home network um, for various, you know, much bigger monetary policy c considerations. And, and if you assume that, then what you will need is some form of intermediary in each of the jurisdictions in order to be able to settle those CBDCs on those, those networks. We very consciously called those uh, entities intermediaries rather than correspondent banks because we think that role is likely to evolve over time. I think that's not a controversial thing to say. Um, and indeed, with CBDCs, you may have different levels of, uh, say, uh, regulatory requirements on those intermediaries than, than yeah. we see today. Because you can build, for example, some of the intelligence into the money itself if the central bank wishes to do that. So um, the, the movements will, be will likely happen in settlement domestically, but we can ensure the orchestration of that transaction through the solution that we've designed. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. And, and I'm very happy to share with you offline also the report that we've done, which gives more detail on that. Great, thank you. Anyone else has any other questions? Show of hands, feel free. Perfect. 
I realize your Swift and cross-border is the killer application here, but um, certainly in the retail space, you know, everybody seems to be looking for use cases that are actually going to be of use, and most of the retail pilots around the world to date are either super niche or not actually gaining traction. Is there any personal view on where they non-cross-border hotspot might be? Yeah. So, um, so that you've probably seen a lot of debate that's gone on uh, about, um, you know, the, the CBDCs that are already live and whether they're being used or not. Um, my view on that is actually those countries who've already gone live, like Nigeria, are actually in some ways quite brave because they're, in a way, they're doing their experimentation in the live, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, you know, some other jurisdictions that are more at the research phase. So they've, they've taken a brave step, uh, and by doing that, they will actually discover, I think, what people value and what a need and what people don't, quite honestly. Um, I think in the, specifically on your point about retail use cases, I, I think the space of programmability and being able to put intelligence somehow in the money and the payments itself is actually probably where there will be more innovation around that. And the ability to do that, you know, in that kind of flow, rather than only putting that intelligence at the customer front end, as we effectively do now, I think that's probably where that value will eventually be found. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a fair way to go to find what might, people might call the killer app. Great. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and enjoy the rest of the conference. To access more podcasts, videos and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.